0: Welcome to The Adoptee Diaries, the show where we dive deep into topics that matter. Today, we're joined by Alexis Eiler, the Executive Director of On Your Feet Foundation, a nonprofit organization that provides comprehensive post-placement support for birth parents. With over 20 years of experience in the adoption community, Alexis is a leading voice in advocating for the needs of birth parents and ensuring that they receive the support they need before, during, and after the adoption process. In this episode, we'll be discussing how DNA testing is changing the landscape of adoption, the importance of post-placement support, and how organizations like On Your Feet Foundation are making a difference in the lives of birth parents. Take a listen. Alexis, thank you so much for being here today. Um, Before we dive into our conversation, I want to give a little background on you. So as a Chicago native, Alexis earned her bachelor's degree in French and psychology from Barnard College of Columbia University and did her graduate work in organizational psychology at Teachers College of Columbia University while working as an analyst for Citigroup in New York. Alexis served on the board of directors of The Harbor and received The Harbor's Bobby Mayer Commitment to Youth Award in 2015. After running her own business, she joined On Your Feet as its executive director in 2015. Alexis and her husband, Craig, live in Evanston, Illinois, with their three teenage children, rescue dogs, and chickens. In her spare time, she is a violinist with the Evanston Symphony Orchestra, a member of the Women's Board of the Field Museum, and loves to read and travel. Currently, Alexis is pursuing her Master's of Social Work at the University of Illinois, and I am so excited um, to have you here and hear your expertise and your insights on post-placement care for birth parents and just everything that you've done in the space is incredible, and I'm so happy that I've met you. Welcome to the Adoptee Diaries.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Bethany. It's really an honor to be here.
0: First of all, um, I know we've chatted several times before today and I did not know you had chickens. I only knew that you had dogs. So I I definitely need to hear like, how do chickens (laughs) fit in here and how many dogs?
1: <laughs> so um the chickens are really my daughters and um but we've been we've had them for well various iterations of them for gosh almost 10 years um 10 years I guess and uh yeah so she fell in love with uh friends um chicks when they got them and didn't stop talking about it for close to a year. And so we finally gave in on Christmas and got her two hens. And yeah, now we've got a coop in the backyard and five hens and so they're fun. Um Egg and egg yes. lane eggs? They're yeah, we get eggs. Um, although some of them are a little bit older now, so we're not getting eggs quite as frequently. Um, but yeah, they're they're all named and they're spoiled and everybody loves them. And so yeah, so they're fun. And then we have four rescue dogs. Um
0: and yeah, so they keep us busy. <laughs> okay, so tons of chickens, four dogs, three children, three teenage children, mm-hmm. and Um, so when I was preparing for this today, I looked up, you know, all the wonderful things about you. And the thing that stuck out to me was your work at the cradle. So Mm -hmm. I want you to talk about the cradle and that totally tells me between that and all your kids and your dogs and your chickens, I just find you to be this like kind, warm, empathetic human. And so of course, you know, it's no surprise that it takes somebody like you to do the work that you do. Um, so tell, can you talk a little bit about your work at the cradle and how that led to where you are today?
1: Um, Yeah, I had just graduated from, or was just graduating from high school and hadn't, I don't know, hadn't quite figured out what I was doing for the summer. I'm not quite sure why, but um, I called um, the woman who was at the time the director of the nursery at the cradle and was someone who I also, um, she had kids uh, the ages of my younger sisters. And so I babysat sometimes. And I asked about volunteering um, because they have volunteers for their nursery um, Who come there? They were called cuddlers. I think they might still be called cuddlers. Um, Who would just come in and, you know, cuddle the babies that were in the nursery. And there's always a very long wait list to become a cuddler. And uh, Barbara said, Well, you know, why don't you just come and work here? And I said, So wait, I would get to spend more time with the babies. You'd pay me to do it and I would actually have more responsibility. And she said, Yes. And so I was sold. Um, and so, you know, at the time, There were anywhere, you know, sometimes there were two or three babies, sometimes there were eight or nine. Um, And I got to off and on whenever I was home from college, summers, breaks, they'd put me on the schedule. And so for four years, um, I got to work there and it was kind of an insane introduction into the world of adoption. Um, Most of the babies that were in our care, you know, there was typically a reason why, you know, there wasn't an, you know, an immediate placement. There was, you know, drug or alcohol exposure, um, you know, some kind of other health concerns, um, or, you know, the adoption was being contested. Um, there was one baby in particular that I remember because he was there for quite some time and he became like my little, he was my little boy. And I just loved him to death. Um, and I think the father was in prison. And so they were having a hard time getting, you know, relinquishment signed. Um, but so, yeah, it was just it was interesting and sometimes the um biological parents would come and visit um sometimes I was the one who placed that baby in the adoptive family's arms for the first time um wow. so yeah it was and I'm still in touch with um some of the nurses to this day that yeah. I worked with so
0: yeah it's it it feels like difficult work because it's emotional work all of it yeah um also so necessary. I mean, I can never see a day where snuggling on babies that are sort of in this in between phase. It's, I don't see a day where that ever won't be necessary. So, um, um, you know, my whole adoption, I think story at this point, and you and I connected on Instagram, I had just found, uh, well, I found my story out layers of my story kept continuing to sort of unfold and in the summer of 2022 um, when I started to dig around online just for other support groups or just to see what other stories were out there um, I kind of think it was a little of divine intervention that I did that and I started to really search for different organizations and other people that maybe are experiencing something like I was Um, knowing that I reconnected with my birth mother and we had this fragile sort of long time to get to know each other and um I empathized with her, I also had unresolved feelings for some of the things that her and I went through. So when I came across On Your Feet Foundation, and I saw that you specialize in support for birth mothers and birth parents in particular, I, first of all, didn't know that that type of organization even existed. And thank you, because I sent you a message and you wrote me back, which is amazing, you know, you can reach out to a hundred different people and maybe hear back a handful of times. So it was meant to be that we connected, and I, I'm very thankful that you did. So. Knowing that you support the birth parents in particular, um, I feel like maybe your experience at Cradle sort of prepped you to understand what that side of the story looks like, which I know as an adoptee who was raised by my adoptive parents in this, you know, kind and loving family, I didn't necessarily think of my birth mother's perspective. Um, So I don't know if there's anything there that you could talk to about, like, how... How your work supports the birth parents maybe you can give a little bit of that and what i would really love to know too is when we don't think about the other perspective we don't know anything about it and also i didn't know that your organization necessarily existed until i found it so mm-hmm. what kind of work can you talk a little bit about the work that you do to support birth parents and then i think the second part of that question is how can they find you do you find them do they find you like how can mm-hmm. we make sure that they know you exist i think is probably the second part of that question
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, and and you touched on a lot of it, Um, you know, birth parents are, you know, tend to be the invisible piece um, in the adoption triad or the adoption constellation, Um, you know, and and that was by design, you know, in the baby scoop era, um, you know, spanning from uh, the the end of World War II up until Roe in 1973. You know, if you were an unwed woman um, who found yourself pregnant, you, you know, you were you were a bad person. You, you know, you'd done a bad thing. Um, and that needed to be hidden. And and so you had maternity homes, you had, you know, the girl in your class who went to help a sick aunt for several months. Um, ah. you know, there was it, it, there was so much shame and stigma um associated with um with having a baby and outside of marriage. Um, and in those women were told, you know. You never talk about it again. If you do, you're going to bring shame on your family, um, shame on yourself. You know, you'll never get married. You'll never, you know, have you know children in a way that's respectable. Um, you know, fast forward to the '90s when open adoption started becoming um, really kind of what was what at least we knew was probably better for the adopted child um, to know yes. the roots, their origins, where they came from. Um, but and so that's kind of where on your feet came out of. Um, in two thousand and one um, we were founded out of an adoption agency um, with adoptive parents, adoption professionals, and a birth parent who said, "You know, we you know open adoption is this thing now, um, but nobody has any tools or resources or you know guide as to figure out how to do it. Um, and so being able though, to provide that support for birth parents to recognize that there was a need there. Um, that they didn't just walk away and forget about their children, as instructed, um, you know, prior to that. And open adoption was going to require being able to navigate um, a lot of just to navigate adoption. Um, so we started out small. Um, it was little things um, like gap grants to help a birth parent get um, books for sc- class for school, so they could take, you know, go to college or take a, the GRE, um, a best pass to, you know, get to and from, help with kind of finding jobs. Um, and also though, just providing a community, you know, birth parents with all of the shame and stigma, um, and stereotypes surrounding birth parents, they lived in the shadows. And so giving the birth parents that community of, you know, other birth parents who had walked this path and shared this lived experience, um, so that they didn't feel that they were alone. Um, and, and so that's kind of, you know, where we've come to today, in the work that we do. Um, The work that we do is a lot broader today. Um, We started out just working with birth parents in Illinois and Indiana. We now work across the U.S. and Canada. Um, I think we have birth parents from
0: 47 states. Wow.
1: Um, And
0: then I think we're at two or three provinces in Canada. I remember looking up data for how many adopted children are in the United States, for example, Mm -hmm. which means for every adopted child that's even on record in the United States, which we know there's probably more, Um, there's a birth mother behind there and a birth father behind there and a whole family of people sort of pre like the before, and then the whole after family too, once the child is, um, entered into their new life with their new family. So I, I, I never sat and thought about too much, you know, beyond however I was impacted, um, definitely until I met my birth mother. So I totally appreciate some of the things that you posted on Instagram, um, which is, you know, what made me reach out to you was this. Experience that I had of meeting my birth mother and mm-hmm. feeling all the feels, which I now know are totally normal feels. Um, so, do they, I mean, I guess they find, so they're finding you. Is there any, I'm thinking about maybe the birth parent that might hear this mm-hmm. and not know that this support exists or not feel comfortable to go out and identify this, like, you know, because you have to bring it to light. Right. Um, yes right you have to bring it to light if you've been harboring the secret and totally put this whole thing behind you and now you're 30 years out 20 years out 40 years out however many i mean i've met, i've met birth parents that have been harboring this what advice like how do you get them to sort of feel safe and comfortable to even make that first like step to call your organization yeah.
1: that's a great question uh, you know i think the first thing that i would say is you know to anyone listening um we're not alone um and I think that that's kind of the biggest hurdle to to get past. Um, there are hundreds of thousands, if not you know millions, of birth parents out there um, who you know are, are in need of support, are in need of community, um, and that's what we're here for. We also recognize, though, that it's scary that a lot of our birth parents um, placed in secret, um, friends and family may not know if they placed, you know, decades ago, their spouses, the children they parent may not know. Um, and that's really scary. And, you know, and then the thing is, is it's hard to hide anymore too. Um, yeah. You know, with DNA testing and social media and nosy relatives, yeah. it's yeah. really, really check, hard check to hide. Check and check, yep. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we're here. Um, we get calls on an almost weekly basis from someone who, you know, someone did a DNA search, someone found them, They, you know, how do they navigate this? Um but, you know, going back to you know lowering the barrier to entry, we recognize because of where people are in their lives, because of um you know, the public status of of their placement, um, that showing up at a support group might be hard going to a retreat might be hard. Um, but there are other things. so we we run virtual support groups. Um, we run about seven of them a month. um, and that's you know, you can come in. They're on Zoom. You don't have to turn your camera on. You don't have to put your real name in. you know, you yeah. don't have to identify yourself. You can sit and listen. you can participate. Um and that's you know and that's kind of the trend we see. We see a lot of these are only for birth moms, like support groups. Um, you know, a lot of we will see birth moms join and you know they'll call, they'll come on from their phone or they won't have their camera on and it might be months and then they get comfortable. They yeah. realize that this is a safe space. Um and we're very careful, you know, about we we do screen who, you know, we let into the call um, you know, to date, we have not had an issue with someone getting on a support call who shouldn't have been there. Um you know, we do work with people um, really one-on-one to try to make sure that, you know, that this is a right and safe space for them. Um, and then, you know, and sometimes it's, you know, the support groups maybe aren't the thing, um, but working one-on-one with our case management staff, even if it's just to find um, an adoption-confident therapist who has experience working with birth parents. Um, you know, so that's one of the things that we really vet for. Um and you know, so that may be a way to engage. Uh, you know, we really just try to make it that there's something for everyone, and there's a way to come in that's comfortable and not scary. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, but I think our birth parents find that once they do come in, that they've got this incredible community that they didn't have before, and they're oh, seen yeah, and they're yeah. accepted, and
0: there's no questions. I know, I know. I think some of the, I think, I know for me, the hardest part was like making the call. Mm-hmm telling my story and things like that, that, that just sounded the first time I ever told like my story was at a, was a panel event at an adoption uh, foundation conference. And it was, I was shaking. I mean, I I told you when we met, I'm like, I'm a crier yeah and I'm not used (laughs) to public speaking. So it makes me extremely nervous. And I thought I was going to be nervous to sit on this panel and have this conversation to be talking about this. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't, it wasn't even that I was nervous because I realized it's my story and I own it felt like I took a little bit of the power back because it's been just this non talked about thing for so long, but that I was yeah. like trembling and I just think it really was like this old dusty story stuck somewhere and, and to bring it out. It, I think there's like a real physical sort of effect that it had I know at least yeah. on me. Um yeah, we talk a lot about birth mothers. So I just want to be clear that it's birth parents that you support and fathers yeah. as well. Do you see fathers that it's still father. primarily like mothers showing up or looking for the support or getting the the support? Like, how do we sort of let the fathers out there know too? You matter. You were part of this, no matter what the circumstances were. Um, what's the? I guess what are what are you, what are you working on there, and how do we support fathers also?
1: So yeah, uh, birth fathers are eligible for our services um, the same as, as birth mothers. Um, we do use birth parents as well to recognize. Um, you know, we do have trans birth parents in our population. Um, you know, so making sure that this it's a safe space for them as well, and and training our community that we welcome everybody. Um, so, but with birth fathers, we do we run a Facebook group for birth fathers. Uh, they're eligible for our case management services as we build, you know, this population, you know, our hope is that we can start doing, you know, some of the support groups or retreats even for birth fathers, but they're still a very, um, you know, when we say that birth mothers are invisible, birth fathers are even further back in the shadows. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and that's just, you know, again, somewhat by design, um, you know the way that adoption has evolved in this country. Um, you know, birth fathers really have to try to be involved um, and and to be engaged, and you know they have to take steps to assert their rights as as parents. If um, yes. you know whether it's because they want to parent that child um, or they want to be involved in that child's life, it's it's not easy. Yeah, uh, we
0: had the pleasure of having reunion with my birth father. And when I met him and I heard his, his perspective, Mm -hmm. his side, his experience of the story, I had, you know, talk about not really understanding my birth mother's side. I was totally, uh, he, his rights were taken away from him. Um, So the healing that has been able to happen in the reunion, I think for him um, it's, it's as big as my healing and everybody else's that Probably experienced something similar, but I learned so much from him and the pain that he had experienced because of losing some of his rights. It's such a different. They all matter. All the different feelings matter in this in this whole conversation, Um, and they're all they're all also so vastly different. So, um, I I think the support, knowing that the support is out there, was huge for me. Um, I had again I had no. I was forty three years old when I found out when I did my DNA test. So we talked about how DNA has change the landscape because it's not a promise that you're going to be able to sort of go through this and keep it all secret, no matter where you are, right? Adoptive parents cannot necessarily, and nor do we recommend they do keep any secrets from their adoptee, their child, and same obviously for the birth parents. Um, So you've been in this, I guess, industry long enough that you have seen the pre-DNA tests and things like that, and then now Mm -hmm. we're living post- um, talk about like DNA and how that's changed and how, how you're dealing with that as an organization.
1: Uh, you know, it's, it's fascinating. Um, you know, I think that the big takeaway with the availability of DNA testing is, you know, the adoptive parents just, they just need to tell the truth from the very beginning and not conceal, um, you know, where their child came from. Um, what their story is, because there's no stopping anyone from figuring it out uh, if they want to at this point. And I think when we keep secrets, we cause more harm than good. You know, even if it's coming from a place where we think we are protecting somebody, um, it it just, it's not going to work out that way. And we see that on a daily basis. Um, You know, I've got, I, I will pick up my phone and it will be someone on the other line, a birth parent who, you know, someone did a DNA test and now their story is out there and they've never been able to tell anybody. They've never been Mm -hmm. able to talk about it. So I will, you know, it'll be five o'clock on a Friday. I'll pick up the phone and um, you know, it's some, you know, person who I'm the first person that they've been able to tell this to, to talk about it. And, um, and it's, it's heartbreaking to me because I think if we had if we had the supports, if we had the pieces in place, if you know, we really took a holistic look at adoption and made it, you know, we talk about making it child-centered. Um, I think adoption—you I, I, cannot eliminate the trauma of taking, you know, someone away from their biological family. But there's a lot that we can do to minimize it and to address that mm-hmm. trauma and to get in front of it. And so I think, you know, DNA testing may force our hand on that. That that is just that is what we have to do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, getting those supports in place from the very beginning and really advocating for honesty yes. in yeah. adoption on the, on, on the birth parent side of things, you know, continuing to work to remove the stigma. And I think, you know, pieces of that are, you know, ensuring that there's options counseling, ensuring that the barrier to a an expectant parent who's considering adoption, um, that the barrier to their parenting isn't a handful of thousands of dollars, um, you know, making sure that we've got those social social services in place so that the person can make the best choice for them and for their child. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think. I, I think adoption is always going to need to be an option. I think there are always going to be people who choose not to parent. Um, but I think that we need to ensure that the people who make that choice are supported. Um, and the people, you know, who would parent given the opportunity can, um, you know, which, but I think that it may be DNA testing that kind of forces our hand on that because yeah, we can't, we can't keep these secrets anymore as much as we might want to, no matter who we are.
0: I have, I mean, I just received actually um, a note from somebody the other day who I used to work with and he saw that I was launching the podcast. He read, I think my story and, you know, we worked together for years, never had this conversation. I had no idea he was adopted. Obviously he didn't know Mm -hmm. I was either because we just wouldn't bring those things up. And he just sent me a note and he was like, I found out in you know, my forties that my father was African-American and he had no idea his whole life. He's kind of like around my age also Yeah. just got his, I think he just was cleaning out maybe a parent's house or something like that and found these papers and he's just floored. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so to know that it's, to understand that it happened back in the day, um, it almost, I was like, okay, it was the times were different, things like that. So I'm still so surprised and and sort of sh- shocked that it is still happening. Like people still are choosing not to tell the truth or still choosing to sort of put shame or stigmas around this whole like process. And, um, you know, so I, I'm thankful that that is all kind of coming to light because if we make it, this is just a part of life. It, like you said, adoptions. Yeah there's going to, an adoption is going to take place. There is going to be a birth parent. There is going to be a child, you know? So um, thank you for everything, obviously, that you do surrounding all of that um, post-placement support too. I understand it. You know, I think, I know in my case, it was, here's the baby, everybody carry Mm on, have a normal life, right? Right. So the post-placement, I think, um, support that you offer is, uh, you, you just don't know how you're going to react on any from any side of the uh, triad, triad, I think you call it. Yeah. So, you know, um, it's very, it's it's just, you don't know. But I do know, what I know for sure is, like, at some point you're going to need some support somewhere along the lines. Um, So I know we're getting kind of close to time. Um, This is, we have Mother's Day coming up. Yeah. Which is such a thing um, for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom my mom, who raised me is still alive and she has dementia. She's had it for now over 10 years. So I feel in some ways, you know, I've, I've lost her a long time yep. ago. She doesn't know who I am anymore. Um, I have a relationship with my birth mother. But let's just talk about Mother's Day for a minute. And then I know you have something special planned this Sunday, I think, as an organization, which I want um, people to hear about. Um, my thing around Mother's Day personally is like happy mother's day. It's totally celebratory. I have two kids. I love that. They made me a mommy, Mm -hmm. but it's just not happy, happy, happy for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, what are you, what do you do and how are you supporting mother's day?
1: So, yeah, um, Mother's Day and Birth, Mother's Day are tricky. and um and I think as a society, we're becoming more aware of that now. Like I notice like on email lists, they you sometimes will get asked like if you want to continue to receive emails around Mother's Day, um mm-hmm. so you know things like that, which I think is great because it can be a really complicated, complex ho- holiday no matter where you sit. Um you know, birth mother's day is is the same. Um we do acknowledge it with our community. Um, and you know, and I won't say we celebrate it. Um, we want to recognize, and, and we have a lot of conversations around this. We want to be there for the people who, you know, need us there on that day, um, mm-hmm. whether it's to celebrate them, um, or to just commiserate, um, and be a listening ear. Um, so this year we are, we're doing something on Saturday. Um, we, for the last several years have really kind of surround, done it around art of some kind, whether it's writing poetry, um, writing poetry. Which a lot of it, I think, is going up on our Instagram over the next several days. Um, to making art, last year we did a guided art event. Um, this year, um, our birth moms who are participating will get to create uh, like a flower petal, um, mm-hmm. and you know, however they want, and then um, we'll send it to us, and we're going to make a collage out of the petals That's that we receive so nice. and create a piece of artwork for um, or a piece of jewelry for um, the birth moms that um, that attend and, and participate. Um, but, you know, there's, an in all of the, you know, adoption, um, you know, like you talk about positive adoption language and where that came from and, um, and the term birth mother and where that came from and birth mother's day, birth mother's day was actually started in 1990 by a group of birth moms in uh, Seattle, Washington. Um, and that was the first time it was celebrated, but it does come out to, you know, the the, the complexity complexity of it is that birth mothers are mothers. And so there's a lot of mothers, birth mothers who feel that, you know, why why do they get a separate holiday? Why aren't they just celebrated on Mother's Day? Um, and, you know, so you just, you get this array of, of emotion and, and complex feelings. And so we try to be very sensitive to all of it. Uh, Candace Cahill actually wrote a really great, really powerful piece on um, and her thoughts on Birth Mother's Day and, and, you know, and why she doesn't participate in it. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's hard.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, first of all, I love how you said, you know, we don't say we celebrate it, we acknowledge it. Um, I think that that's just leaving the space for somebody to say, okay, today is a day that has this yeah. meaning. And then everybody individually can decide how and what they want, what that means to them. Um, I, yeah. I, I love uh, April Dinwiddie, uh, adult adoptee mm-hmm. that's out. Yeah spoken and, and definitely was a huge, uh, inspiration for me to even Mm -hmm. consider these conversations. And April focuses on like the both. And so I'm like, Mm -hmm. I can love and support my mom and I can show love and support for my birth mother. And for me, I know that's where like the magic lies and I can still Mm -hmm. have, and I can have whatever other kind of feelings I have as well, given different situations. But, um, you know, individually, I love knowing that, um, you know it is everybody can just make it whatever they need it to be and disclaimer this also goes for fathers day
1: mm-hmm.
0: so yeah. you know we we're, we're talking about mothers day because mothers day is around the corner um when is birth mothers day because you actually taught me that existed is birth mothers day saturday
1: it's the, it's the saturday before mothers day
0: yeah okay okay thank you i i actually did not know that so thank you for teaching me that amongst yeah. everything else that you teach me <laughs> um awesome awesome so I feel like there's so many things to talk about. And I also know that I can't have this be two hours and you probably have something <laughs> to do because you have chickens and dogs and kids and houses and husbands. <laughs> so anything else, anything else, where are you going to be? Um, I will put in the, uh, this episode's description, your website mm-hmm. and your Instagram, of course, anything else, like parting words or anything else that you want your community that you serve to know?
1: Um, I, well, I, I will be down at the NCFA conference in St. Louis um, at the end of June. Uh, we're actually running a session on um, post-placement care for birth parents. Um, this is, you know, it's something that we really advocate for and want to see become, um, you know, a standard of care. That you know, adoption agencies do a variety of different things. Um, I think if you're, you're an adoptive or prospective adoptive parent listening to this, um, you know, my takeaway would be ask your agency what they do. For birth parents and what kind of care they provide, um, because it's going to impact you and your child. Um, you know, ensuring that birth parents have access to care and not just in the handful of weeks or months post placement, but over the course of the long term. Um, what we find is that birth parents are coming to us on average about three years post placement. Um, yeah. We would love to see that happen sooner, but there are a whole host of barriers. Um, you know, birth parents don't get screened for um, postpartum mood and anxiety disorder. Um, they, you know, they that's something that's done by a pediatrician, um, you know, birth parents are going to need counseling. Um, and so ensuring that they have access to that when they need it and not putting a cap on it, not it's three sessions or um, you're only eligible for it for the, you know, the first six months post placement or, you know, something like that. Um, you know, we are very heavily advocating for agencies to, um, support organizations like on your feet. I'm not aware of another organization that works as comprehensively as we do. Um, you know, but we have our birth Parent support alliance and, um, agencies can get involved that way. It provides a neutral space for birth parents to connect because often they don't want to go back to the agency where they placed because that's, um, that's
0: the site of trauma yeah. for them. So they don't want to do yeah. that. Um, it's so, so interesting. Yeah. You know, trauma, you speak of trauma, which is a word that totally was not in my vocabulary until I started doing some research and really self awareness on this topic. So it is traumatizing. Um, Beth yeah. Tyson, a childhood trauma consultant, recently just put something out um, about regular, good old standard childbirth is traumatic. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. the things that happen yep. to our bodies. This, yeah. you're rushing here, there, like just the whole thing is traumatic anyway. Yep. Under the like best, most quote unquote normal of circumstances, exactly. so yeah. in these circumstances, it is tra- traumatic. And to your point also about it being not just a six month out, you know, timeline. And for you to sort of say in three years you see some people come, I, I find that interesting too. From from just taking away my experience and hearing from others that are again around my age, in their forties as was I in my forties, mm-hmm. you become a little bit more aware. Maybe your parents are aging and you start to become, you feel like you have permission to be curious as an adoptee. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely just throw out there and you probably know this, but I'll say it anyway. Yeah. In my forties, when my birth parents were in their sixties is when I opened like the Pandora's box uh, on this thing with my DNA test. So, yeah. you know, my birth father, I think was 65 when we, when I, when I sent him the message. Um, yeah. So 43 years after his daughter was born, he is now having to deal with something that he tried to squash, you know, down and forget about. So, so lifelong, lifelong journey for sure. So I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying yes. Thank Thank you you for answering my DM on Instagram. (laughs) Always. (laughs) I know you're so sweet. I hope you get flooded with new messages and, you know, things like that. (laughs) Once people hear about you and what you do and you are so sweet and so kind and now I know why, because you're a professional cuddler. You're a professional (laughs) baby cuddler. And of course you're sweet and kind, but I, I really do. I love you. I have this special place for the people that sort of, I, it's so hard to send out the first message. Like, um, I think I might need to talk or I want to tell you a story and it's hard to do that. So when you get a warm response on the other side, it really just, I mean, honestly, I'm like here doing this and talking about this and you're one of the reasons why. So I appreciate oh, you gosh, and thank I thank you. you. Yeah. Love. Um I appreciate
1: you for being out there and, and having the
0: courage to tell your story and
1: um and share your experience with others because that takes a lot more than it
0: does. Thank to you. Cuddle a baby. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's all. All and 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 it's all important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoptee Diaries. We hope you found it informative and thought provoking. If you'd like to learn more about On Your Feet Foundation and their work in supporting birth parents, you can visit their website at www.onyourfeetfoundation.org. And if you'd like to support their mission, you can make a donation or get involved with their programs. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date on our latest episodes and follow us on social media to join the conversation. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.